0: Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm gonna be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful, safe weekend, a safe Halloween, a fun Halloween on Saturday night. Hope everyone is ready for the month of November ahead. We have Thanksgiving to look forward to ahead of the holiday season. Some things that I want to talk about on this edition of the Sambus podcast. Not a whole lot of news came out this week, but one thing that I am going to touch up on that really hit home for a lot of people over the weekend. And I'm also going to be doing my Mandalorian spoiler review of season two, the premiere that came out on Friday. But the first thing, like I said, that I wanted to talk about was the unfortunate passing of the late, great Sean Connery, who passed away on Saturday in his sleep at the age of 90. And Sean Connery is somebody who is well known in the world of Hollywood, one of the most incredible people that I've heard from talk about this man and an incredible performer across the board, he was someone of Scottish descent, he was no, somebody who wasn't really British, but he was able to kind of act and be kind of be a chameleon in all these roles that he was in, he had a charming presence whenever he was on scene, and over the last few days when people have been remembering Sean Connery, they've been calling him kind of the, the movie star of movie stars, and he really was somebody that when you put him in a movie, he just made a 10 times better whenever he was on screen because he knew he was going to bring it every single time and a lot of people have been remembering Sean Connery and from people like Alec Baldwin, who was in it w- with starring in him with The Hunt for Red October to m- working with Michael Bay and even people like Piers Brosnan and Daniel Craig talking about how every single time they, they knew him, they knew him as the star. And for people like Alec Baldwin, who worked with him, he just was a, a no nonsense guy, was somebody who came to work every single day, ready to do what he had to do to do the work no matter. No what and do it a hundred percent whatever it took and even though he had a commanding presence he was always somebody that from what the stars that worked with him always said was that he always had an endearing side to him that he was somebody who always worked with them no matter what and would always have kind of a soft spot for the people that he worked with and talking to or not really talking but reminiscing with Michael Bay in which he took to the Hollywood Reporter and wrote a little expose op-ed about Sean Connery he talked about how he was over budget on really I think one of his best works to date in The Rock with Connery and Nicolas Cage and Ed Harris and he talked about how he was over budget and that film at the time was with Disney and one of the production companies was them and he had a meeting with them talking about kind of how to get it under budget and if they had to add add a little extra money and Sean Connery came into the equation and basically enforced the Disney producers to kind of help Michael Bay with whatever kind of money he needed to finish the project so they just kind of talked about the presidents that Connery had on screen and off screen and on screen he was just magnetic wherever he went obviously people are always going to know him as James Bond, the, the the first person to bring the iconic 007 to the cinematic spotlight. And really, there have been s- six James Bonds and actors that have played the character to date, but really when you come back to it, even for as many people, and I'm one of them who love Daniel Craig or Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore, you can't deny the, the legacy that Sean Connery had portraying James Bond. And one of the first James Bond films I ever saw was was Goldfinger and just the way that he commanded the screen with his charm, charisma, wit, but also when he needed to be serious, his seriousness it was just undeniable. And he was somebody who, not in just the Bond films, but in all of his movies, had just an incredible way of coming up with these incredible witty one-liners that are some of the most iconic in cinematic history. And he was just able to kind of just have this, this buffo masculine presence that everyone was able to just kind of adore. And everyone wanted to be Sean Connery when he was James Bond. Everyone wanted to be, again, the cool kind of guy, the one that would have the the cars and the girls and the... The, the luxurious locations that they would always go to and nobody else quite did it like he he did. And I, even with someone like a Daniel Craig who, again, people think of uh, as either being the number one or number two great Bond film or Bond, uh, Bond presence of all time. I think Sean Connery always takes the cake because everyone else had a had a a president before them. Sean Connery never had that president. He was the one that set the president moving forward. And he did it seven straight times with Dr. No from Russia With Love, which over time he said was his personal favorite to make, to Goldfinger, to Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, to leaving after that film, but then coming back a film later for Diamonds Are Forever, And then finishing it all off in what is now labeled as an unofficial Bond film in Never Say Never Again. He was just, he kind of of died down a little bit towards those last two movies. But in that five stretch run that he did between Dr. No and You Only Live Twice, it just was like a light switch for him in which he just kept pushing the envelope every single time. And... Again, even though people are gonna remember him from James Bond, he was in some incredible films that between the Bond movies, they don't get, I think, as much love as they really should. He, They're very underrated performance, performances and underrated movies at that time period that didn't do very well, both critically and I think at the box office. But I think when you also look at Sean Connery's career, he also had a great back half of a career. And I think for somebody like him, in which in this day and age for movie stars, as they age, the the, the movies don't really come to them as much as they did when they were younger, all due respect to that, to, to people, That are still in the business that are a little bit older it's just it's just true in that sense but sean connery broke that mold where he had an incredible front half of his career with the bond films but his back half was just as great and even though again you remember him for bond he had a stretch of films where it was just one incredible performance after another and he really stole a lot of the films that he was in from indiana jones in the last crusade playing henry jones senior in already an iconic franchise with harrison ford sean connery came into to the last film in that initial trilogy and really kind of stole the film in the best way possible he and harrison ford had tremendous chemistry as father and son. You felt it throughout the entire film. They had wit. They had humor. But at, when they needed to be serious and have heart, it was there on both sides. And Sean Connery showed, I think, a level of emotion but aloofness that really, really worked the endearment of Henry Jones Sr. And for a character that we we, we knew about, obviously, that Indiana Jones had parentage and that they were somebody that came from the archaeologist's history. And, and that's what, kind of where he got it from. You didn't really kind of... there really wasn't a set character for Henry Jones Sr. And he just came in right away into The Last Crusade and was an instant iconic character. And that really is due to the performance of Sean Connery. And then you go to his Oscar-winning role as Jim Malone, the police officer in *The Untouchables*, fighting the the mob, the mob reign of Al Capone. He was incredible in that film. Had incredible one-liners. Was able to play that that Scottish draw really, really well alongside Kevin Costner. It, it was just an incredible performance. A, a very underrated mob movie, in my opinion, *The Untouchables*. But it really led by by a great performance by Kevin Costner, but a stolen spotlight from what Sean Connery did. And again, it earned him his first and only Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And then he went on to do films like The Hunt for Red October in 1990, which is really kind of the first installment in the set of Jack Ryan films that we got after, with Harrison Ford and, and Ben Affleck. And really, that film, you don't really think of it as a Jack Ryan film because the spotlight is really given to Ramus, who is played by Sean Connery. Plays this this Russian soldier who's looking to defect to the United States, and it's about hunting this this submarine that has a nuclear arsenal attached to it. And people don't know if Ramis is a good guy or a bad guy, and in the end, he does turn out to be a good guy. But the the gravitas. Of Sean Connery's performance in this is incredible. And I think it speaks to the chameleon aspect of what he brings to the table, in which he plays a Russian in a Scottish accent, but you believe it. You actually believe that he's this Russian agent when you know that the the accent he's giving, the performance, it's not authentic, but at the same time, it is just so you're watching it and you're gravitated to what he is doing and you can't take your eyes off of it. And I think what he does is an absolute accomplishment. And when you talk about the espionage genre, one of the great films from that from that field is the hunt for red October, and then you go into a film like Highlander, which he is so well known for, and then of course one of my favorite films from him, and I think it, it, it's a really underrated action adventure film, and one of if not the best Michael Bay film in his filmography is The Rock, and again Sean Connery just being a badass, having one liners and just having a whole bunch of fun for a guy at his age probably at that point in his his 70s or mid 60s at that point still being able to kick butt and and have one liners and kind of basically playing a more grittier version of a James Bond really kind of getting into it fist fights action fights it, it was all really there and he just did an incredible job with it and that was really one of the last films that Connery did his last on-screen presence was in 2003 with The League of Extraordinary Gentleman. But other than that, that was pretty much it. But you look at his filmography for 70 plus films from ranging from the early 50s to Bond to what he was able to do in the 80s and kind of have a resurgence with The Last Crusade, The Untouchables, Hunt for Red October. It's just one hell of a career that Sean Connery had. And I think he will go down as one of the great actors of all time. And it really is a movie star and i think will be remembered as one of the great movie stars of our of our time and again it's just the shame that we never got anything else from him, but if anything, even though it is sad that he passed away at ninety years old, he didn't live a full life. He was able to retire and which not a lot of actors do and you have actors like Anthony Hopkins and Christopher Plummer that are still working at this day and age and don't retire. But you have people like a Jack Nicholson, Sean Connery, Gene Hackman that want to go out on their own terms and retire and, and kind of be an athlete in that sense and live out the rest of their days with their families and Enjoying life with their grandchildren or their children, and just enjoying the, uh, every everything else. And I think Sean Connery was able to do that, or and he was knighted in, in before he died a few years back. And it, it, he just lived an, an amazing life, an amazing career, a force on screen and off the screen. And my heart goes out to the family and friends of Mister Sean Connery or Sir. Sean Connery in his knighthood, and he will be missed. He will be remembered in the most fondest ways possible in all of his performances that he was able to do. And Sean Connery passes away at the age of 90 years old i want to know what you guys think about sean connery what were your favorite performances of his what was your favorite bond performance or bond film of his what was your favorite non-bond performance i want to know what you guys think or, or what is your guys's opinion let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts again sean connery sir sean connery passing away at the age of 90 years old And the final thing that I want to go over on today's edition of the Sam Bassell podcast, moving away from the movie news and ending it on a review that I want to do. And since it's been a few days since the season premiere, season two premiere of The Mandalorian, I was going to do a separate episode for the spoilers review but again since there's not a a whole lot of movie news out there minus what we just talked about with Sean Connery passing away I just thought you know what why don't I do the spoiler review right now so for anyone that has not watched the episode the premiere of the season on the Mandalorian stop right now go back and watch my non-spoiler review that I did on Friday that is very generic gave my basic reaction of what I thought of the premiere and then come back to this one and listen to what I thought with my spoiler review. So this is it. You have been warned. And I'm going to start my spoiler review in three, two, one, and we're off now. So Overall, again, from my non-spoiler reaction, I love this episode. It was a great launching point of what to expect with this season, I think. And Jon Favreau, who wrote and directed this episode and is really the main showrunner for this entire series, did an incredible job. And I think he really pinpointed what he wants this show to be, which is a a sci-fi Western show. And we got that in, in, in the first season, and it's reinforced in the premiere. And uh, really, it's in the title as well with The Marshal. And basically, to get the spoilers out of the way, we get to see one of the rumored actors who was rumored to be in this season. And that is Timothy Oliphant, who... If you know Justified or Deadwood, he always plays the the gunslinger, the cowboy, even in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when he's with Leonardo DiCaprio in the show Lancer. He plays that gunslinger, Mode, which fits perfectly into this universe with Jon Favreau and what he wants to do with The Mandalorian. And there were all rumors of sorts of who he would be playing. And it turns out that Oliphant would be playing Cobb Vanth, who in the the lore of Star Wars and canon is actually referenced in the Aftermath books in which he is acquired with the Boba Fett armor in which he got sold on Tatooine. And it was a little reworked in The Mandalorian where he, he gets it off a bunch of Jawas. But when Mando, in the beginning of the episode, is told because he wants to find all these Mandalorians to help him reunite the child, a.k.a. Baby Yoda, with the Jedi, and he meets up with this one person on on a planet, and he says that he needs to find a bunch of these Mandalorians, and he knows one of them on Tatooine. And so he goes to Tatooine, he finds this, this Mandalorian, which in the case is Cobb Vanth, in which he is not really Mandalorian, he just is requ- uh, acquired the Boba Fett Mandalorian armor. And so that was kind of a really cool reveal, and it seems like fun who sometimes can play a good guy or a bad guy in the very beginning it seems like oh he's he's going to be an adversary of Mando this is going to end well they, it seems like they're about to go down into a, into a standout or, or like a shootout in a western style but then all of a sudden that is immediately pushed off because then we go on this this side mission in kind of taking down this this beast which is called a crate dragon and Something that has been a part of Star Wars since the very beginning in one of the shots with C3P and R2D2 in Star Wars A New Hope, where you kind of see this this long skeleton, kind of like a snake in a way. That is actually a Krayt Dragon. And I didn't know this part, but it was actually a part of the Knights of the Old Republic video game as well. And this is kind of the first time we're seeing a live one in a live-action Star Wars film that isn't some kind of skeleton, and it was really, really cool to see that for the first time, and then Cobb and Mandalorian decide to broker a deal where Cobb Vanth will give Mando the, the armor back if he helps him take this thing down to help save his town, and... So they go off and they decide to hunt this thing down, where they come across a bunch of Tusken Raiders. And if you remember in the first season, in episode five, where Mando is on Tatooine, he and this this guy that he's with encounter Tusken Raiders. But Mando is never really an adversary with, with the Raiders. And even in this episode, when he's journeying across to get to this town to find this Mandalorian, who we eventually know to be Cop Vanth, he's... in, in circled with Tuscan Raiders he's at a campfire with them so he has an idea of how to communicate with them and so when he's with this standoff and finding this creature we realize that Mando can speak the language of the Tuscan Raiders and so we're able to learn more about the Tuscan Raiders than I think we've ever have in any Star Wars movie television show comic book, Uh, anything that we've seen before because we just know them to be these beasts and they really are these these invaders, these scavengers, but we get to see another side of that and that they're really this clan. They're a bunch of warriors that if you communicate with them they will honor a certain code and we see these two factions to get, come together and work to solve a, a bigger goal in mind and it's all led by Mando speaking Tusken Raider and one of the things that I actually found out that was a behind the scenes aspect was that one of the Tusken Raiders that used the language because they, they speak but they also use kind of this language and, and you see mando use that and it was actually sign language and one of the tuscan raiders was a deaf person and they, the the language the motions they use is a part of sign so i thought that aspect was very interesting and again adds to an inclusiveness that is being invoked in hollywood right now hopefully and one of those is people with disabilities, and we're seeing that in this episode. So I thought at that aspect was really, really, really cool, and I think just kind of added to what was impacted with in this episode, and to kind of see the factions come together was amazing. And and I think that is a, another great thing about this this episode is the fact that when Mando first goes to Tatooine the instant thing that I think about is it's nostalgia it's going back to the things that we love about Star Wars and one of the big determinants of the fifth episode of season one was that we just kind of scratched the surface again with Tatooine we didn't really get to explore anything else with it it was a very kind of in and you're out get to experience the the cantina again get to experience the dunes the raiders the the creatures and that was pretty much it what made this episode work so well is that we get those easter eggs those nostalgia strings tugged on with this episode going back to Tatooine but what John Favreau does so great is that he explores different sides of certain aspects that we already know about aka what he does with the Tusken Raiders and adds to their mythology and that's what that's what you want to see in Star Wars that's what makes Star Wars so great is the mythology of it all where it's this this universe that is so expansive, so rich, so much depth to it. And you see that where we kind of get a three-dimensional outlook on these creatures that we just know to be villainous and barbaric. And they might be that still. But if you communicate with them, if you see to other sides to them, they're trying to survive just as much as everybody else is on that planet. So I thought that aspect of it was very, very, very interesting. And uh, everyone always asks about, well, is there enough Baby Yoda in this? Is there not enough Baby Yoda? And Baby Yoda, I think, is used perfectly in this episode where you're not you're not trying to highlight Baby Yoda so much. You're not trying to take away from the story or the other characters. And they use them perfectly in these moments. And, and again, I think it, it shows the... The fortitude, the vision that John Favreau has with this show, where he progresses the the storyline little by little, in which the beginning of this episode showcases the the main story moving forward, but then we have this little side mission that helps explore new characters like Cobb Vanth, but also furthering the storylines of somebody like M- Mando and and the journey that he's going on with with this child, and in the end they defeat this crate dragon, and Cobb Vanth gives the Mandalorian the Boba Fett's armor and. Mandalorian is seems like he's speeding his way back through the desert, back to his ship, and, and leaving Tatooine or, or going somewhere else to find more Mandalorians. But that's not the end of the episode. As Mando is going through the Twin Suns, the Dune Desert, we see this being looking out over the Suns, looking over Mando, driving. And he turns around, it's this bald faced man, and boom, as he's walking away, we see a scarred Tamara Morrison basically signaling that while he wasn't, Boba Fett didn't have Boba Fett's armor, Boba Fett is actually alive, and basically without naming names, basically confirmed another character that we were heard was rumored about, and that Tamora Morrison is most likely playing Boba Fett, and Boba Fett is in this show, alive and well, seemingly confirming an age-long fanboy kind of of, of mythology or, or fanboy theories that Boba Fett made it out of the Sarlacc pit and is alive and wandering. seems pretty mad that some other people have his armor besides him. And again, when Tamar Morrison was casted or rumored to be casted in The Mandalorian, it made sense that he would be Boba Fett because when you look back in the prequel trilogy, Jango Fett, who was played by Tamora Morrison, wanted a clone identical to to him to raise as his son so it it would make sense what 30 years or 20 years after attack of the clones and then you add on an additional five years he would grow up to look somewhat like jango fett who was again played by the same actor so it would make all the sense in the world that jango fett would or bubble fett would be back in the show but now the question becomes Will he be in the next episode? Will we see him a few episodes down the line in season two? And I think this is where when you talk about the first details that were talked about and revealed in the Entertainment Weekly article and Favreau and Filoni were talking about these episodes gearing more towards Game of Thrones and that you sprinkle certain seeds throughout and then as the seasons progress, you lead more onto the storylines that you've been setting up slowly, inch by inch, throughout all these seasons. I think this is a clear example of that where I think we're going to get Boba Fett more again in this season, but I don't think it's going to be something we're going to see him in in three or four episodes i think we'll see him in one more episode where we'll get a 100 a, a confirmation that he is playing boba fett and revealing what he wants with the mandalorian armor with boba fett and could set down this really cool showdown in seasons to come so i think this is it's great it, it sets up that there's two for two in terms of rumored casting which sets up really well that we could potentially get Captain Rex. We are probably going to get Ahsoka Tano in the next three to four episodes with Felonius episode coming in episode five. So she could probably pop up there. We could get Sabine. We could get all these different characters in this season. And again, I think it worked well where when you heard a lot of these rumors— How is this all gonna fit into the bigger Star Wars world while also fitting into the storyline of Mando? And again, in the first episode, I think it it did its job in which it brought along some great Easter eggs while still focusing on the storyline ahead with the Mandalorian. So I think again, a home run hit for the season two premiere. I'm excited that we only have to wait a few more days until Friday for the second episode and what we're gonna get with Mandalorian moving forward. And one other little tip that I want to talk about is the beginning where kind of like the first episode of the first season where it's just kind of Mandalorian being a badass, kicking ass, taking names, and beating up on all these guys. The one-eyed person that he gets the information from that he has to go to Tatooine and find this Mandalorian was actually voiced by John Leguizamo. And it was interesting because when the credits rolled and kind of what has become a staple of this show is that during the end credits, we kind of see all this unused concept art that was utilized and 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 used to kind of, of formulate the episodes to come and the episode that just was. And they always kind of show the cast of who was a part of it. And Legozamo was there. And I wondered, well, who, who did he play? Was he one of the aliens that we didn't know? And lo and behold, he was that that one-eyed alien in the first few minutes of the season premiere. And it makes sense because it doesn't sound anything like Legazamo. but one of the talents of, of him is that he is somebody that can disguise himself, not just by physical appearance, but by his voice. And sometimes you just don't know who John Leguizamo is because he can have a high-pitched voice. He can have a low-pitched voice. He can have a normal tone voice that doesn't sound anything like him, but he just is able to get the job done. So it, I thought that little tidbit, it was a cool little cameo that he was able to get in this episode. And again, I think overall, this is a fun episode. I think we're gonna get a lot more incredible action, incredible direction, and we'll see what happens in the weeks to come. But guys, that is gonna be it for my spoiler edition of of the Sam Cell podcast and in three two, one. Everyone can come back to the conversation. But with the end of the spoiler discussion, that will be it for this edition of the Samba Sale Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return on investment and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services also check out the daily grind a weekly motivational podcast with kelly johnson give you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals you can also check out these other awesome shows on the podcast solutions such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzel Media Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canobie Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure you follow me on social media. You can find me at Basil Samuel. that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L, S-A-M-U-E-L. Again, it's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Guys, thank you again so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.